Hello, everyone, and welcome to our episode of the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Sandra Crawford-Williamson, and I'm really excited. We have a wonderful guest on today whose story is really multifaceted and has so many depths and layers to it. Guys, I want to welcome Brian McCarty to the podcast. He is an author. Yeah, no, he is an author. You can tell he's a speaker, right? He wants to get started. He is uh, an international renowned speaker, and he is the co-founder of this amazing company everyone in business should know about. It's called Culture of Good, Inc. Just a really neat story. So after, you know, having this wildly successful Culture of Good movement at their largest Verizon authorized wireless retailer in the nation, they really spearheaded this whole community investments worth $6 million for those in need, which is amazing. And Ryan recognized the needs to share this culture of good with other successful organizations. So he currently goes around teaching other businesses how to unleash results by encouraging employees to bring their soul to work. I love that line, Ryan. And I could go on and on. I mean, you guys have been featured in Huffington Post, Inc.com, People, Forbes, you know, all over the place. But what I love is you had... 20 years of leadership experience in the ministry and in the nonprofit industry. And then you brought that into corporate America and have just been able to take your, your for-profit company, the Verizon Authorized Wireless Retailer, like, you know, 700% increase by using these types of practices. And so then you went and you created Culture of Good and you're helping other companies do the same. Is that sort of explain your journey a little bit? That very much explains my journey. And sorry for interrupting earlier. I, I, I get a little antsy when I start to, to talk. So you're right. I, I am a public speaker, keynote speaker, but I also was a preacher for a long time. So you'll have to bear with me as I take up most of the time talking <laughs> no, we love it. We love it. That's why we have you on because, I mean, you've done so many things. You were this wonderful pastor, mm-hmm. you know, all the stuff in the nonprofit world. Then all of a sudden you do this huge change into the for-profit world that goes like gangbusters. And so then you guys have created this other for-profit company, Culture of Good, which is really, I mean, I kind of call a movement, right? You're yeah. going around the world teaching other companies how to grow their business results by encouraging their employees to bring their soul to work. So tell me what that means. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, at the very core of who we are as human beings is a desire to matter, to do something meaningful with our lives. And that's always been at the forefront of my own perspective for myself and having done work in the nonprofit world Geez, I I started preaching when I was 15 years old and really never looked back. As you mentioned, over 20 years in nonprofit work and leadership, my wife and I started a church with four people in our house and and built that to several hundred in town that I had grown up in and, and did all of this meaningful work in Africa, globally, uh, built a school and, and dug boreholes for clean water and you know, that type of missional work and then missional work uh, locally through the church and, and giving back. And over and over, you know, week over week, you would see people's lives transformed 
just simply in the moments where they they gave of themselves and their time and their treasure uh, to impact someone else's life. And it was in those moments of transformation in the nonprofit sector of work and church and ministry that I think was coming into the corporate world after all of that time, I, I saw a gap and a, a miss with a, with a lot of businesses that, you know, employees were showing up for a paycheck and doing the nine to five and, and really not discovering what it meant to bring their fullest self and their soul to, to their everyday work. And in the nonprofit world, we never had to talk about employee engagement or about turnover. I mean, people were committed and they were volunteering their Saturdays and, and evenings. And, and then when I came into the for-profit sector of business into corporate America, I saw, you know, that people just show up to work every day and, and really don't have a sense of meaning and purpose and, and calling. And I believe and, and still do and continue to do the work that people can really discover their calling in life and actually have more than a job or even a career. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of statistics about 72% of people have anxiety all sure. the way up to physical illness on Sunday night because they're dreading going to work on Monday morning. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of what John and I speak about on the Eternal Leadership Podcast is about finding your calling. What is yeah. your Ephesians 2.10 calling for your life? Because if you can work inside that, you'll quote, never work a day in your life, right? The old yep. cliche, because you'll be using your gifts, you'll be on fire. When I speak, I call it, what would you get up at four in the morning and do for free all day long? Yep. That's what your passion is. Yep. So, so when you, you know, it's kind of a neat story because you come out of the nonprofit world and you go to work for Cellular Connection. Right. And so when you go to work for Cellular Connection, they're about 138 million in revenue. And, you know, you've got 190 stores, 774 employees. And you applied this, you know, these biblical principles from your Christian faith about encouraging employees to bring their soul to work, to increase engagement, that sort of thing. Next thing you know, you guys are 838 million in revenue. 630 stores with 1,700 employees. And that's just gone and gone and increase and increase. And so all of a sudden, you have this proven result sort of white paper for what this can do for a business. So all you business people out there who are listening, you know, you're going to hear something today that is this really breakthrough. How can you apply Christian principles to your for-profit business and change your culture that brings crazy business results. So let's hear it. Let's give us the secrets, Ryan. Well, it's crazy because now, just over this last year, we've, TCC has reached $2 billion per year and has over 3,000 employees. It's growing exponentially. So what is, we have to start with what culture is, right? So culture is what most people are doing most of the time. Uh, we know what we have to do every day for business to succeed. Um, but many times what's missed is why we're doing it. So what's the great motivator? When our employees show up to work every morning, are they motivated simply by getting a paycheck on Friday and then coming back to work Monday to get back into that same weekly cycle of working for a paycheck, uh, working for the weekend? And when we give people a why, a sense of 
the beyond, the transcendent, something that I believe is very spiritual in its nature, and that is knowing why I do what I do. So what I do every day is a list of tasks that I must get done. Uh, my why is is my higher purpose, a sense of calling and knowing that if I do what I have to do every day, then it's tied into the opportunity and the permission to care, to do good, to give back. And so the culture of good is very much, uh, for lack of a better term in business, is very philanthropic in its nature, creates opportunity for employees to give back, but it goes beyond just adding it in as a program to a business. And it's actually more about driving it to the very DNA of the company and a cultural movement within the business. And so it's not a one time a year give back or, you know, every once in a while we care and we've added this CSR program to the business, but it's very much about creating a consistent, predictable cadence of quarterly giving back through everyone collectively giving back organizationally with a good cause that is very aligned with the business, as well as teams and departments knowing their contribution quarterly, and then each individual. So it's that three-tiered approach of what we call big good, which is organizational, everyone giving back collectively together on the same day or the same week, and that's done quarterly. Our good, which is very much team and department-driven, having more autonomy to choose what their contribution is. And then individually, again, there's that quarterly give back where I feel I'm most passionate myself. So this comes into onboarding new employees, discovering what they're passionate about, what they feel like their life calling is. Maybe they've not even discovered that, but working for your business gives them the opportunity to discover that. And when employees discover their calling while working for you because you've given them permission to bring their soul to work, that's the type of employee engagement that you don't see simply by letting people wear jeans on Fridays or having beanbag chairs in the break rooms. Like all of that is kind of creating that fun culture, but we're talking about bringing that more soul culture to your business and creating a predictable cadence of giving back and doing good collectively together and then individually as well. I love that. And, you know, CSR, for those of us listening that have not done this type of thing before, it's corporate social responsibility. Mm -hmm. So this is something that's happening, you know, all through businesses all over the world. And it's how can we be responsible for things in our community and in our world and in society and, and so what you do is what you just explained. You let your employees, even new, coming in the door, tell you what they're passionate about. And then you incorporate that into your corporate responsibility stuff that you're doing as a company. Yeah, sure. And I think, too, we have to think about CSR as more than just a program. So let's think about it this way. When a nonprofit starts, they start with knowing why they're starting. They start with the higher purpose a need that they're meeting, a question that they're answering, a problem that they're solving. That's why we start nonprofits. Typically, we start for-profits to be uh, revenue-generating machines, right? And the idea behind this culture of good is that profit is not evil, that it can be a tremendous catalyst for good in the world. 
But what we do many times in the nonprofit world is eventually we figure out we need to be really savvy at business and we're not going to keep this nonprofit going. Uh, And in the for-profit sector of business, we eventually start seeing, oh, shoot, we got to add some purpose into this thing, right? Some mission to get people involved and excited about coming to work every day. And what we're suggesting is that we really have the heart and soul of a nonprofit, and you can have that within a for-profit business. So it's really taking the mission and purpose of your business and why you do what you do as a company and as an organization, and really putting that at the very forefront rather than it being just a side note or about us page on the website but really driving in the business through doing good and engaging your employees through making a difference in the world. Sure, they're going to have to come to work every day and get their work done, but, but what's the main motivator? So one of the promises that we teach through the culture of good is that we will drive the business to greater success so that we can do more good. So it's this collision of profitability and purposeability. It's bringing the two worlds of nonprofit and for-profit together and leveraging the employees as volunteers and giving back and the revenues as a way where in the nonprofit sector, you're asking for donations all the time so that you can do what is inside of your heart to do. In the for-profit sector, it's taking those profits and saying, we have the profits, but rather than the CEO writing a check and saying, we care about the world, come work for us and feel proud because we give back to charity, it's almost like the company has the heart of a charity and all the employees connect to it on that soul level where they don't have to go work for a charity to be charitable or go work for a nonprofit to give back and to care. They're given permission to do that through their everyday work. Yeah, I call it not just for profit. Yeah. That's what I call it. So it's a for-profit business, but it's not necessarily the only purpose of the company, you know, so not just for profit. So, you know, you have an amazing story in your childhood that's really formed who you are, Ryan. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that. As a child, your mom, when you were five years old, was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. Sure. And do you, do you remember that? Do you remember what that was like, um, you know, as a child? You know, I, um, bits and pieces, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think a lot of it, you know, and I'm, to be honest with you, I'm still getting therapy today for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm 42 years old and there, you know, I'm still under construction. <laughs> no, but, well, aren't we all, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I remember, hearing the news at six years old, having come back from school one day with my older sister, uh, hearing the news that my mother had committed suicide. So the paranoid schizophrenia, depression, all of that disease and mental illness really, really took over her life. My dad at the time was a heroin addict, uh, had come back from Vietnam hooked on drugs and, and really couldn't kick that habit. Ironically, that's exactly how we met my mom in the first place. She was a nurse at the local VA hospital and he was admitted as a drug addict and seeking help. And so apparently when a drug addict and nurse fall in love, you get Ryan. So here I am. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a product of, of that. Um, 
but also a, a product of knowing that each one of us, regardless of the pain that we go through, sometimes even in our pain, we discover purpose. And uh, it's really interesting because within that year of my mom committing suicide, my dad uh, really had a spiritual awakening, found himself in church, ended up uh, remarrying and was delivered and transformed off of drugs and a life that he had lived up to that point. And from that point forward, from the age of seven on, uh, I grew up in church, uh, but still with this reality of knowing that I had gone through what I went through and a sense of wanting to really discover what it meant to have meaning in life and purpose and, you know, kind of sort out why I had gone through what I went through. And time and time again, I saw myself being able to encourage others uh, who were going through real life tragedy and pointing back to my own experience. And, and that really led me to find a lot of healing in my own soul by bringing healing to other people's stories. And sure. I remember early on just kind of growing up in that understanding. And so eventually went into full-time ministry, started preaching when I was 15 years old and moved to Brooklyn, New York when I was 16 and worked on the streets of, of New York and, and Brooklyn and and really never looked back, you know, and really had this great sense of calling and purpose and, and doing meaningful work with my life that I knew had a tremendous impact on others, just really fell in love with ministry and doing that type of work and, and never looked back until the day came on a Sunday morning, you know, in uh, about six and a half years ago where I got up on stage and I was preaching at a church that my wife and I had started. Uh, we have two girls and I was up on stage and, and I was talking about how your why should equal your what. And unbeknownst to me, the CEO of the largest Verizon retailer in the country was out in the audience and came up to me after service. He wasn't, wasn't really prone to going to church on Sundays, but I, I have tattoos and I don't really fit the normal scope of what you would consider a pastor. And his wife said, hey, you'll like this guy. You should come. And uh, he came up to me after service and invited me out to lunch. And, and that started the journey of starting what became the culture of good is taking everything that I had done in the nonprofit ministry world and introducing that into the corporate world. And again, still seeing lives transformed and people coming to discover their calling and purpose. And, you know, Sandra, someone asked me the other day, I got off stage, I was doing a keynote at a uh, conference and, they said, you know, how does it feel to have left ministry to do the work you're doing? And, and I just had to respond that I, I've never viewed it that way. You know, I, I feel like everywhere we go and whatever we're doing is ministry because ministry is meeting the needs of others. It's not about being a pastor or having a title of minister. It's really about just living out a life that, that helps others and meets the needs of others. And, and that can be emotional, spiritual financial, whatever aspect of need that's in their life that's pertinent to them in the moment, that's the call that each one of us as leaders have to answer is, will I meet that need? We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. You've heard that old Harry Truman quote, leaders are readers, right? Well, John and I are big fans of a service that we subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, 
hence the name Blinkist. And most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out the seven habits of highly effective people. Or if you want to brush up on your marketing, how about Purple Cow by Seth Godin? Check out a Blinkist seven-day free trial so you can have access to the entire library of more than 2,500 summaries. Their app is well-designed and you can export the summaries to your Kindle or you can do what I do is listen to the audio while I'm reading the Blinks before bed to get that extra reinforcement of those ideas. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find our affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash Blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to help support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist, John loves Blinkist, and we are confident that most of our listeners will love them too. Like I said, the link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. And in fact, I think and share with people when I'm coaching and speaking the more broken we are, the more stuff God has brought us through, you know, that's our testimony. That's mm-hmm. our story. That's all the empathy and experience and wisdom that we've, you know, earned to offer hope and help and compassion to other people. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, losing your mom like you did and your dad transforming like, you know, like he did at seven that's a lot to carry around for sure. But, you know, you were able to relate in the real world to hurting people, you know, when you're on the streets of Brooklyn and, and going forward now to business, because a lot of us put on our Monday morning mask and we go off to work and we're like these perfect little people with our, you know, our car and our 2.4 kids and our white picket fence. Right. But behind the mask, we're all just broken, hot messes that are carrying around all this baggage, you know? And so you're really teaching companies how to let people bring in all their stuff and be who they are. Yeah, that's, I mean, we want people to be human at work until they're actually human. (laughs) I like that. I like that. There's this human reality that, uh, we all have issues. Uh, as you stated, we're all broken. Uh, we have triumphs and we have tragedies. You know, it's really cool being able to get in front of uh, employees and speak and, and share my own testimony and my own journey and what it means to now live a life of legacy. I like to say that the life we lead is the legacy we leave. And I talk about legacy a lot. I talk about impacting the world through your life and through your story and how your story is your one unique trait that you have. And the one thing that really sets you apart from everyone else in the world is you're the only one that's walked through what you've walked through. Others can relate in terms of their own journey, but your story is yours. And being able to talk to employees and and minister to them, you know, and, and seeing the tears and emotional connection to what I'm saying, it's really interesting to see ministry take place within uh, the four walls of headquarters and within training and onboarding of employees and being able to have employees have the permission to come up to me afterwards and, and some of them asking for prayer, some of them just wanting a moment to talk to me and just share their story. It happens every week and it's, it's really fascinating to see what happens when we as leaders choose because we really can't 
allow others and give them permission to bring their soul to work, if we as leaders will not choose to be vulnerable in that same way first. Oh, brother, that is what I preach. And and the work that I do is authenticity is the new black Mm -hmm. and that you have to lead with authenticity and vulnerability as a leader. That if a leader walks around acting like everything's okay and they're all that in a bag of chips and they don't have any problems or challenges in the world, then they set a cold culture and environment of fake perfection that no one can ever reach. So we all walk around feeling insecure and like a failure. Yeah. You know, yeah. where instead, if a leader can walk in and be like, hey, you know what? My kid was 10 minutes late to school today because I didn't do laundry last night. And so I was like sorting through the two small bins to find them a uh, uniform to wear to school. Oh, my goodness. How about you guys? How was your morning? That just, <laughs> yeah. It just changes everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that filters in through ministry and church as well. You know, you might have someone in full-time ministry listen to the podcast and maybe they're a pastor or, you know, in ministry. And, and so many times we, we put on those spiritual masks and act like everything's okay there too. And I could never do that. You know, I, I always felt a sense of connection to people because they related to my own brokenness and my own insecurities and the own issues that I was dealing with. And, and that's, that I think is, is what reminds us that we're human and that we're all the same in that sense. And that as leaders, if we can do that in the business world, you know, you said it earlier, you know, you're, you're creating a culture of false sense of perfectionism. And I like when you said that because, you know, you're building a culture every day, whether you're intentionally doing it or accidentally doing it. Uh, That's right. Always in the process of building culture. And so when we come authentic and we come vulnerable and we come real, uh, that's the type of culture that employees want to work within. And quite frankly, customers want to do business with those type of companies as well. Absolutely. They just, they want real, they want to do business with a human, not a fake robot. And I think we feel as broken people, because we all are, hey, I'd I'd much rather be, you know, with Ryan or or Sandra or Fred, who are being real with me so that, you know what, when I have a challenge, I can be real with them back. It, it, It creates trust. And so, you know, I like to say, authenticity creates trust and empathy. And when you have trust and empathy, that's a place people want to be and they want to work and they want to keep their job and they want to work hard. And you don't have the chair spinners at five o'clock running for the parking lot because they want to be there and they want to do a good job for you. But as leaders, we have to take the first step in creating that. Yeah. I think it was a, a shock, a little disruption to the company when I would get up and tell my story about my mom committing suicide and you don't typically hear that. You know, when I go speak at HR conferences now, I'll be in Vancouver in a couple of days um, in BC. And the, the whole idea behind this conference I'm going to is putting the human back in HR. You oh, know? I love that. And, and typically they don't, you know, you don't hear these stories of someone getting up on stage and talking about uh, those real vulnerable moments. And, and those, I like to think the authenticity is the raw parts of us where it's just raw it's undone it's still messy it's ugly like you said it's those moments that in 
really stand out when we're able to be vulnerable that way and share our story, no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be as traumatic as what I went through. But when we share how real life is for us, as you said, it, it really builds that culture of trust. And for sure, that's, that's the kind of business I want to work for, is a business I can be real in. Yeah. And in today's world of employee turnover, you know, mm-hmm. you look at, you know, my father's generation, they typically worked for one company their entire life. They got a cake and a gold watch and they rode off yeah. into the sunset. You know, my generation is, you know, the Gen X generation and yeah. the statistics say we work for seven companies in our, you know, in our career. Yeah. And now there are the millennials and the number is they work for seven companies before they're 30. Yeah. And, you know, you go, you go to a lot of HR conferences, you know, you know, when you turn over an employee, it costs at least $50,000. Yeah. You know, there's studies that say it's as high as 82000 And so if you just look at this from a strictly business perspective, if you want to increase profits, you know, one of the ways to do that is to increase productivity and decrease turnover. Sure. And you have proven results with culture of good, that it does both of those things. Yeah, you know, early on, the CFO looked at Scott, who hired me at TCC, and he said, Scott, are you crazy for hiring this pastor? He's going to give all of our money away. I had one of the chiefs of the company that hadn't been bought in completely yet, and he said, he described what I did as the touchy-feely stuff. And, And I like to joke about that now because it turns out humans do have feelings <laughs> and it is very touchy feeling, you know? and, and I actually wear that as a badge of pride, you know, yeah, it is touchy feely, but also uh, the CFO thinks of it different now when turnover was impacted through culture of good and saved the company $5.8 million a year in a retail space is very significant because many times turnovers over at least a hundred percent, in, in retail, wireless retail, in the space that TCC is in. And so $5.8 million a year is not touchy-feely. <laughs> it's real numbers. It, right. it, uh, like you said, it makes a tremendous difference on the company. And again, what made this different than just a typical give-back program or doing some good, this was something that the company was committed to and shared that with the employees and was very intentional about putting it uh, out front and foremost in terms of saying, this is who we are. This isn't just one of our values. So culture isn't just one of our values. Giving back isn't just one of our values. This is who we are as a business. This is our DNA. This is why we do what we do is so that we can make the world a better place. And by doing that, It was how recruiting started changing. So new employees and new talent, which you know is very crucial right now, became a business differentiator for the company. Again, it wasn't come work for us and once a year we're going to go do this good. It was very much uh, discovering your calling and purpose by coming to work for us. So recruiting, onboarding, the employee journey and experience uh, from that point forward, how customers were being engaged with this story and how they were being inspired. And quite frankly, how other organizations and companies started coming to us saying, how are you doing this? We want to learn how to engage our employees and customers in the same way. 
We want to drink some of your Kool-Aid. You got it. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to know what the mix was. What are the ingredients to the Kool-Aid? And so we had to really take some time to discover what that was as well so that we could share it. So, yeah, so you had to sort of, un- you were doing these things. We had to sort of unpack it and, mm-hmm. and put it into, you know, to-do steps, if you will. So you could yeah. go take that and share it with other companies. You know, and what you're talking about is so critical in today's environment. The economy is doing well. Unemployment is super low. You have this generation of millennials that are out in the workforce. All of those things mean that the employment market is really, really tight. So keeping, you know, getting great employees and holding on to great employees and keeping them engaged is more important now than ever before in American history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the last decade, it was more about the customer engagement and about how do we engage with customers And what I think companies are coming to understand now is that if you engage your employees and give them purposeful, meaningful, fulfilling work, they will naturally and organically connect with the customer on a deeper level just by themselves being engaged. And so really the customer engagement piece of the last decade has become the employee engagement of today. And moving into the next 10 years, I think companies that only care about profits and employers that only care about profits will end up with employees that only care about paychecks. And if your employees only care about paychecks, all it's going to take is a bad manager, bad experience, a bad customer experience, and an offer from another company that's similar, even less or more in terms of pay, and they'll jump ship. Because it's what you said earlier today, you know, the former generation, they married their company. You know, they they were dedicated for life and they celebrated anniversaries and, you know, it was a marriage. And yep. Yep. next, my generation, it was more of an engagement. It was, you know, we, we valued the relationship. But the generations to come are just dating you, and if, <laughs> you know, and if it's not, they're not looking to get married. They're not looking to get engaged. They don't want a ring on their finger. They're dating and they are your greatest voice in the world in terms of who you are. They're, you know, Glassdoor and, and sharing experience and reviews on the internet and, and it's a dating relationship. And uh, we have to, while they work for us, make great fans out of them because eventually they may not be working for us and we want them to continue to do business with us even after they don't work for us. Yeah. In fact, I say, uh, you know, uh, an ex millennial employee, right? So a millennial that has been your employee that turns over for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, they can either be your best customer yeah. Or they can be a customer nightmare because yeah. the way millennials operate today, you know, they don't just tell seven friends like it used to be in, you know, the water cooler environment. They tell 700 friends. Yeah. And so, you know, employee engagement is kind of going upstream, right, from the customer. It's going upstream and engaging employees. So they affect everything downstream. Sure. So current customers and then future customers that, you know, they and all their friends are becoming too. Absolutely. So all of our pastors and nonprofit leaders out there, this applies absolutely for you too, even more so in in some cases, because you're talking about causes that are often near and dear to people's hearts. 
you know, and so I love that. Bring your humanness to work because, oh, by the way, they are humans. So yeah. let them be, let them be humans and have feelings and they'll want to be there. I mean, yeah. it's that simple, right? Yeah. I mean, all things being equal, if I can work for your company or someone else's company and the only business differentiator that you can state is we have great customer service or whatever, that's not a differentiator anymore. I mean, if everybody's saying that's what makes them better, then no one's any better than the next person. The business isn't any better. The business differentiator is the story that you're telling and the culture that you're building. And, yeah. and that's the experience that employees will have and the opportunity to discover their calling. And like you said, to be human, that's what's going to all things being equal. That's what's going to differentiate you in the marketplace. And that's going to attract a different set of talent to your business, as well as keep the people that you don't want to keep everybody, right? Not every employee is someone that you want to keep in your business, but you'll keep the right people if you do the right thing for the right reasons. There you go. I love that. Well, what are your parting words, right? Because, you know, you've had this incredible, Jeez. incredible life and great experiences and doing some great work now with both companies, you know? Yeah. And so what's your sort of parting words of wisdom to, to just break it down simply? <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. I should have been more prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I think it goes back to what I referenced for a moment, but I, I think it's for us as leaders to take a moment today, as you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this podcast, taking a moment and really doing some self-evaluation and reflection and take inventory of your own life and work and, and ask yourself, you know, what, what is my passion? How am I leveraging my success and influence and leadership in the world in a way that's meeting the needs of others and bringing fulfillment to myself. And then from out of that, then making a commitment to be real yourself and to bring your own soul to work and to be authentic and to give permission to your employees and your peers to do the same, you know? So it really starts, I think, Sandra, with discovering our own passion and making sure that, that that's something that we bring to work every day, that we don't check our soul at the door and then go in and, and be someone else that uh, is different in business than we were at home or, or at church, but uh, that we really bring our full self and soul to work every day. Yeah, no, I think that's beautiful. So, so if you're listening, the first step is discover what you're truly passionate about. You know, there's some great uh, resources out there. I'm a huge fan of Strength Finders 2.0. You know, that is a great tool. It's the best 20 bucks you could ever spend. So get in touch with yourself. How are you wired? What's your Ephesians 2.10 calling? What are you passionate about? And then step two is just start being authentic. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, practice it with your people that you already know and love and trust practice being authentic and real and, and like take your mask off and let people see the real you with all of your beautifulness and all of your brokenness. Yeah. And, and then once you've done that and it feels less awkward, then step three, go start doing it with your employees and with your peers and with your boss even and your board and who your customers. Um, I will tell you hands down, I have a you know, a 25 plus year career in corporate America. And I have hired, trained, 
been a salesperson. I've trained them. I've managed them all over the world. The best salespeople, hands down, are the authentic ones in the group. Yeah, because they just go in, they're just themselves and all their, their beauty and brokenness and people respond to that and they want to be around it and they trust it because they think, Hey, if you're going to tell me about the bad morning you just had or your speeding ticket or the fight you have with your wife, then you're probably not going to try to sell me something that I don't need. Right. right. And so, you know, just go out there, get in touch with your passions Find out who, who you are, how you're wired. Number two, practice your authenticity with those that are close to you. That's less of a risk. And when you feel less awkward, then go start doing it with others. Yeah. And, and let that permeate through your business, through your nonprofit, through your family, yeah. through your school, wherever you are. You know, Ryan, you're near and dear to our heart because that's what John and I practice. We call it uncomfortable authenticity. Like, oh, just let, let it all hang out. Um, yeah, I call it creating, like, emotional disruptions. There you go. Yeah. That's beautiful. That sounds more scientific. I like yours better. I don't know. Each <laughs> <laughs> terminology. You know, uh, that's right. People, if they... If they want to learn more, you know, you can do that on cultureofgood.com. Certainly reach out. You know, we're here to meet needs in the same way. You know, if if your company has needs around culture change or employee engagement, CSR, that type of stuff, that's what we do. So, yeah, cultureofgood.com is a good way to learn more about us. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Ryan McCarty and Culture of Good is their business. And um, you have to go check it out. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story and, and what you do. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Our pleasure.